So good to be with you. It's the first time I've been back in South Africa in about 12 years. So I've been away a long time. I did live here for 14 years. Let me just get this thing behind me here. You almost feel like microphones are the devil, don't you? Get behind me, you know. But uh, I've been married 35 years to a wonderful woman, Joan. have three beautiful children. They've got my good looks because my wife still has hers. I don't know what happened to mine, but anyway. <laughs> but it is a joy to be with you. Uh, Steve's right. I, I just left my uh, schedule in other people's hands and had nothing really to do with it. But it's such a joy to be here with you and see what God is doing. I met Steve uh, probably a couple of years ago in Hong Kong. And uh, it was a wonderful time just getting to know him a little bit. Followed him a little bit on Facebook, seeing where he's been going into India and different places. And just communicating a little bit along the way. But it's so wonderful to know that we serve a wonderful God and He is the same. Whether it's in South Africa, whether it's in Australia or Asia, or any place in the world, we serve a God that is an unchanging God. He's committed to His people. He loves His people. Everything uh, about His desire for His people is for good. And that's wonderful to believe. So I trust this evening that you come with an expectation. Because I've discovered what you expect is generally what you get. And if you don't expect very much, guess what? You don't get very much. And... Uh, I have a great expectation that God is going to be glorified in our midst. And this evening I want to share some things with you of what I believe God is doing in the church. Is that okay? Ten things of what I believe God is doing in the church. And out of that I believe it will help us to see not only where we fit in, but how God wants to use us and empower us in a greater way. I believe it's wonderful that we bask in His goodness and that we bask in all the glory and power that He has for His church. But He's empowered us that we will impact and touch the world wherever we go. I don't believe this was God's idea in Genesis 12. I believe it was His idea from the beginning of time. In fact, when He speaks to Adam and He says, I want you to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth to rule and reign and subdue the earth, He was revealing His intent from the beginning, which was one of two things had to happen. Either Adam had to expand the garden or else Adam had to go outside of the garden to accomplish what God had declared he was to do. So I believe it was in God's heart from the beginning to impact this world. And it's wonderful that we get the privilege to do it. And my wife and I, three months after marriage, we were in Nigeria and doing things there. And then from Nigeria to Kenya to Malawi to Rhodesia at that time, or southern uh, Rhodesia, and then into South Africa, and then uh, we spent 14 or 15 years here before we went on to Australia for five. And we've been back in America for a long time now, 12, 13 years. So it's been a long journey, but it's a good journey. And what is so wonderful is that you meet people along the way and you realize that there is no time, space or dimension of restriction that keeps you from being joined together because God has done things in people's hearts and that when you're apart, when you come back together, it's like you've never been apart. So, thanks, Steve. <laughs> I, one thing I've forgotten is how quiet South African audiences are. Amen. 
<laughs> we always have a few hillbillies wherever we go. <laughs> no, it's, it's great. <laughs> but I want you just to turn to your neighbor and say, I, I expect God to do great things. I believe that. I, I ex- have that expectation that God is going to do some great things. I want to read a portion of Scripture I believe that's applicable to your church. been praying about once I got the schedule. And uh, it's Joel, the third chapter, and the 18th verse. It says, In that day the mountains will drip new wine, and the hills will flow with milk. All the ravines of Judah will run with water, a fountain will flow out of the Lord's house and water will water the valley of Acacias. I believe that's God's desire for you. It's a time of new wine. It's a time of refreshing. And what's so wonderful is that there was a river in the garden from the beginning of time. With the dew in that river, that's how God sustained all the vegetation. And that river, you find it in Revelations 22. And what is so exciting to me is this. It says, that river flows out from under the threshold and from under the very throne of God. And that you, I want you to know tonight that God has a desire of overflow of His presence that will flow from His very throne to you. You'll be refreshed by it. You'll be strengthened by it. You'll be encouraged. And not only that, He will take you and into the valley of the Acacia. And the valley of the Acacia is a desert region where there is not much life and very arid. And it says it will cause the Acacia to bloom in the desert. So wherever you go, have an expectation that you will take life. I believe that. God wants to use you. Whether you're in the supermarket, He wants to use you. Whether you're at your place of business... He wants to use you whether you're at your school. He wants to use you everywhere. Isn't that wonderful? So one of the first things I really want to share with you this evening, and I believe that what the Lord has been speaking to me in reference to uh, as a prophetic word, it's a season of increase. And I believe that you need to have your expectations rise that you expect to grow significantly above and beyond anything you've imagined. It says the least of us will be a thousand. The least of us will be a thousand. Now you maybe are already a thousand. I don't know. But I want you to know that's the least of you. That God has more for you. And God's going to expand and push out. And uh, I was in one church just recently and I felt like the Spirit of God said to me to tell them to have an expectation that they will have three full services over a weekend. So we'll see what God says a little bit later in the meeting. But I want you to know it's a season of increase. One of the things that I have learned is that man can add and man can subtract. The devil always tries to divide, but God multiplies. If one can chase a thousand... One chases a thousand in God's mathematics. Two chases ten thousand. Imagine the power and the magnitude of what He wants to do with the people of your size and stature in God. 
It's just exponential growth, exponential release, exponential power that takes place and moves forward. He's given us all a ministry of reconciliation as ambassadors of Him that we will impact those around about us. It's a wonderful, wonderful time of expectation. How many of you ever have expectation for divine appointments? I have expectation for divine appointments. I believe in divine appointments. But what I've discovered with divine appointments, somehow we have to move from our Christianese language style. And what I'm referring to is this, that I believe in divine appointments. I was recently with someone in a restaurant and I was sitting there and I just leaned over because I felt the Holy Spirit say, say something to that person at that table. And I spoke to the person at the table and they asked me, they said, are you a psychic or a mind reader? Now in times past, I wanted to be spiritually, politically correct. So I would say, oh, no, 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 no. This uh, is a gift of the Holy Spirit. And I would elaborate, break it down, explain what it is. And in the process, I could see, as it were, a cloud just come over their eyes. And I'd lost the impetus, the impact, the power of what God was wanting to do. So I've come to realize just saying, sure, yeah, sometimes I do read minds. You see, Paul says, I become all things to all men that I might reach some. So if we move to where the level of the people are and then take them and lift them up and move with them, we can explain and elaborate and clarify the truth of who we are and how we operate. And you know what? You'll find they're a lot more open. A lot more open. It was Isaiah 60, verse 22, that says, The least of you shall be thousand, and the smallest a mighty nation. And the Lord goes on and says, I'll do it swiftly. I'll do it swiftly. You see, I believe what God is wanting to do in this exponential growth is He wants His church to become a prophetic culture. A prophetic culture. Now, what does that mean? Oh, does that mean this that we... Have children that are prophetic? Yes, it means that. I want to elaborate a little bit on that and just take a moment because it's, to me, it's all part and parcel of this exponential growth. It's we God's people being prophetic. If you have your Bible, just turn to 1 Corinthians, the 14th chapter. I want you to look to verse 24 and 25 is what we're going to read. says, but if an unbeliever or someone who does not understand comes in while everybody is prophesying. Now I want you to say this. Everybody is prophesying. Now to me, if everybody's prophesying in this room, surely then there should be some kind of correction or something that needs to take place to get people to stop, right? That's our natural inclination and understanding. But as we read on, we see there is no correction that is brought. It says, He will be convinced by all. Everybody is prophesying. He's going to be convinced by all that He is a sinner and will be judged by all. And the secrets of His heart will be laid bare. So He will fall down, worship God, exclaiming, God is really among you. Now how does that work in a prophetic culture that God's calling us into being? Because it's out of that prophetic culture we're going to see the exponential growth that God desires to bring. 
An unbeliever comes and he sits right here. He doesn't know anybody in the church and he sits in the, the second row there between the, the, the young boy and, and one of the men next to him. And as he sits there, one of the persons next to him just taps him on the shoulder and says, you know, I just have this impression about you. I just want to share it with you. And they share it with him. A person behind him taps him on the shoulder says, you know, I just feel this and I want to share this with you. And the person next to them on the other side does the same. Someone turns from the front to speak to him. And he realizes no one in this place knows him. No one in this place understands anything about his life. Each and every one of them spoke into an arena and an area of his life that he knows nobody knew. And the only conclusion he can draw is God surely must be here because I didn't tell anybody anything. And it says he falls on his knees, gives glory to God, and says, surely God must be in this place. You see, what I want to do is break the mindset of us understanding prophecy as being just a person up front or an occasional one person. God's called and He says, I wish all of my people would prophesy. He tells us to all seek earnestly and covet and desire the gifts. Now, we don't look for the gift without going to the giver of the gift. But he, he, through His grace, they're called grace gifts. And He's given them to us so that we can make a difference in the world where we are at. Recently, I was just in a church in Johannesburg. Uh, I'm in a, and I'm trying to give to you just kind of a capsulated perspective of what I believe God is saying. But I was with them for eight days. And probably had 20 hours of input with them over those eight days, if not more, plus other time frames. But what was so intriguing to me was this, that the people actually caught the impartation. And that's my desire, is that you catch the impartation. And one of the young guys, after the first night, he's 18, and they told me he's extremely shy. He, was, he works at Greenstone Mall. Is there such a thing up in Johannesburg? Green? Anybody hear of that? Greenstone? Okay, some of you are shaking heads and raising hands. and You've heard of He works at Greenstone Mall and he was there. And as he was standing there in the line, a lady was next to him and he just felt, had an impression and felt there was a physical ailment because he began to hurt in a particular part of his body. And he turned to this lady and just said, I have this impression that you're having pain right now. And he told her the spot she was having pain. And he said, and I keep getting this word that this is what has caused the pain. And the lady looked at him and says, well, how did you know? And he said, God loves you so much that he revealed this to me because he wants to heal you. So this young 18-year-old prays, said, may I pray for you? He prays for her. This young 18-year-old, in his shyness, he left her because he was so embarrassed because she got healed on the spot. She had her hands up in the store saying, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. And he hid and went away from her. But you see, God wants us to realize He wants to utilize us. I'm convinced that His gifts flow within His body more frequently than we anticipate, but most of the time we're oblivious to the fact that it's actually God trying to get our attention. I tell people, if you go to a meeting and you have no ailments in your body, you're physically well, you don't have any pain, you're not sick, you get to the meeting and you begin to have a pain or you begin to feel sick, 
or you begin to get a headache or all sorts of little ailments that begin to arise. Has that ever happened to you? You go to church and you start feeling bad when you get to church with the body? Well, it took me a few years to wise up because I used to always think, isn't it just like the devil? I come together with God's people to worship Him and He just attacks me. I want to tell you, that's not the devil attacking you. I believe that's God trying to get your attention that there are people around you are near you that have ailments and God's just wanting you to realize that He's wanting to open your eyes to see that He wants to operate through you in the word of knowledge. You see, I, I believe God's given the gifts. They're simple. We've made them complicated. We've made them that only special people minister special gifts. I want to tell you, it's going to take all of us, everyone prophesying, everyone releasing the gifts, everyone operating at a level that God desires, not because we have to, because of the joy and the privilege. You know, when you see someone, how many of you have ever prayed for somebody and seen them healed? How did that make you feel? Made you feel good, didn't it? Turn to your, the person next to you and tell them, it made me feel good. <laughs> you see, we need to, to begin to believe that doing for God makes us feel good. It's okay. <laughs> I'm going to tell you two quick cameos of people that are just incredible stories. One was of a young 17-year-old Korean suffering with tuberculosis. He has a sister. His sister has a good friend that's a Christian. And the Christian girl comes over to see his sister, and his sister hadn't gotten home for work. So he starts talking to her and uh, inquiring about this Christian stuff, because he's studying to be a Buddhist priest. So he inquires and asks, and before his sister arrives, he says to this young lady, Will you help me become a Christian? Because he saw that there was life and some vitality that he hadn't seen in the Buddhist uh, monasteries where he'd been training. She prayed with him. He received Christ. short time later, God healed him of his tuberculosis. What's so incredible is no one remembers that young girl. But you know who that was? That's known as Dr. Paul Young Cho with the world's largest church. More than a million members come to his church every single weekend. A young, insignificant girl makes a difference, but she will reap the reward of all that God does and, and provides through that young man. Another young guy in, in Illinois, uh, one of his friends, uh, there was a Baptist tent meeting going on at the local stadium, our county fairgrounds. He wanted his buddy to go with him. His buddy wasn't a Christian. So he thought, well, how can I get my buddy there? And this is where sometimes we need to be creative. So he says, well, I know my buddy likes girls, and I know my buddy likes to drive cars, but he doesn't have one. So he said, I'm going to invite some girls to go along, and I'm going to tell him he can drive. Guess what? His buddy said, I'll go. Absolutely. Girls get to drive? What? A, how can I even second guess that thought? He gets to the meeting. He hears the gospel. He's gloriously saved. Comes to recognize Christ as his Lord and his Master. Today, we know that guy is Billy Graham. You see, I'm telling you these things just because these people were ordinary, insignificant people that had such significant impacts by just touching people that they didn't even realize there was a call on their life or they would make a significant difference. I want to encourage you. God wants to use you. 
One of the ladies at the church that, uh, up in Johannesburg, she went to the beauty shop to get her hair done. She went in. The lady was telling her she was in an auto accident three years before. Her hips were out of alignment. Her, she's in constant pain. She's on medication, but to no joy. So the, the, girl, the lady getting her hair done says, Hey, why don't you sit in the chair and let me rub your back a little bit? So the, the lady sits in the chair. She starts rubbing her back. As she's rubbing her back, she says, Lord, do you want to maybe heal this lady? Why would she tell me this stuff unless you wanted to heal her? So she said, well, let me just, let's just check your leg. She has her scoot back in the chair, and one leg was two and a half inches shorter than the other. Before she got the words out of her mouth, Lord, will you heal this lady? She said, this lady's leg just shot out, and they were completely level. The first thing out of the lady's mouth, guess what it was? What church do you go to? Because nothing like this ever happens at my church. And you see, it's God's people beginning to see that He just wants to use them. God wants to do it and do it quickly. You know, one of the most thrilling things is great, is great to preach. It's great to see God do things in your midst. But what's far more satisfying to me is to go away and then get the feedback and the reports of what's perpetuating and carrying on. The week after I was there, the youth said, well, we're going to believe God to do things. So they, a young girl said, look, I'm having back problems. She didn't tell what her back... That problem was. She had scoliosis. Her spine was in an S. The young people laid hands on her. She fell under the power of the Holy Spirit. When she got up, her spine was absolutely straight. I'll tell you what, that will energize your youth. On the Sunday morning, some of the individuals began to have words of knowledge. And everybody who responded to the word of knowledge was healed. They had six deaf people that morning in the meeting that were healed. None of the leaders prayed for them. It was just the people in the church that had words of knowledge and God healed them. I want to encourage you because God's wanting you to be empowered and released to move into the fullness. God wants to use you. In America, there's a slogan. We have what we call Uncle Sam. He has his white pants, striped pants, and a blue shirt with, and a top hat. Uh, and he looks like the American flag. And he has his finger pointed out. And they use it in the military. It says, Uncle Sam wants you. I want to tell you, God wants you. He wants you. And you know what? It's going to make the job of your leaders far much easier as each of us facilitate and embrace and release the Holy Spirit in our midst. You're going to see a season of growth. Second, God is blessing unity. How many of you understand the rule of first mention? The first place something is mentioned in Scripture, if you understand it there, every other place that it is mentioned uh, has ramifications with understanding the first place mentioned. Now we understand God spoke to Adam and told him that he was going to be with Eve and that was going to be his wife and things and they would be unified, they'd be one. But in Genesis, the 11th chapter, is the first time God comes down and he actually speaks to those that are embracing the Tower of Babel. And as they are there, it says God comes down, He looks at the situation, and He says, we better confuse their languages and cause problems for them, because if we don't, because of their unity, there will be nothing that they cannot accomplish. 
And I want to tell you, God wants us to understand that He is going to have a unified church, that when He looks down on the Durban, Pinetown area, He sees one church. When He looks in Southern Africa, He sees one church. When He looks in Africa on the continent, He sees one church. When He looks at the world, He sees one church. If we're having problems and issues with brothers and sisters, we need to get them resolved because at some juncture in time, we're going to have to work with each other to bring the kingdom and have it come as God has ordained it to take place. And we'll be amazed at what He does in our unity. Recently, I spoke to a leader in Canada, and he was telling me that he'd been to the main leader, a visionary, three times over three years and wanted to plant a church. And felt God was speaking to him to plant a church. And every time he didn't, the, the lead guy would say, no, I just don't feel it's right. And he found that he was growing in a place of dissent with that leader, that he was having difficulty embracing what that leader was saying. And I felt like the Lord gave me a word of wisdom just to say to him this, you know what? It will be better for you to lead so the existing leadership can be in unity so they can receive God's blessing than you to stay and perpetually, continually dissent with a leader. He just, he just uh, emailed me or put it, wrote me a message on Facebook just the other day and said he'd been to the leader. This time when he went to the leader, the leader released him to go. You see, God is blessing unity. He will bless it no matter what transpires and takes place. Psalm 133, God commands blessing. And when God's blessing comes, guess what? You cannot outrun God's blessing. He is a good God. The church I've been a part of in Southern California before I moved to Denver, I moved to Denver January the 6th. Um, Oral Roberts was a member of the church. I heard the last five messages that he preached, sitting in a big armchair, overstuffed chair, just sharing about the goodness of God. Here's a man, 93 years of age, served God in ministry for more than 60 years, still captured by the goodness of God and how God loves His people and loves His church. And I want to tell you, God loves you, His church. And God wants to command His blessing upon His church. And He blesses it. Jesus prayed for us. It's John 17, 11. It impacts nations. It makes a difference that when we move in, if we are unified to see what God accomplishes and does. It doesn't mean that we agree with everybody. That's not unity. Unity is that we agree with God and we agree with God's Word and we move forward with what His Word says to us. Third thing I think God is doing is He's reviving faith. It's interesting that as I've begun traveling so many places, I've seen actually in a lot of places what I call a faith deficit. They have very little expectation, and they have very little few things that transpire and take place in their church. I think Rob Rufus used to say, if your outflow exceeds your income, then your upkeep will be your downfall. You remember that saying? A faith deficit. You see, to me, Galatians 3.11 says the righteous will live by faith. 2 Corinthians 5.7 says we live by faith and not by sight. Hebrews 11.6 says without faith it's impossible to please God, that we have to believe He's a rewarder. Luke 18.8 tells us when the Son of Man returns, will He find any faith on the earth? 
You see, it takes faith to become a Christian. It takes faith to believe God. It takes faith to release the gifts of the Spirit. It takes faith to operate in a Christian realm. A faith that has absolute, total confidence in a God that loves us and cares for us so very, very, very much. I think there are four, there's more faith than this, but one is there's, everybody has a measure of faith according to, to Romans 12.3. Enough faith to accept Jesus Christ. There's the gift of faith, 1 Corinthians 12, verse 9, which is a supernatural deposit of faith to believe God to do supernatural things at that appropriate time. There's the, the uh, fruits of faith, which are an ongoing grow, uh, growth process taking place in our life. Our faith level just perpetually grows, where the Scripture says, add to. You add to your faith. It's a, a perpetual motion of, of growing in faith. Then there's the mustard seed of faith. Matthew 13, 31 and 32, which implies to us, says the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed which a man took and planted in his field, though it's the smallest of all your seeds, yet when it grows, it's the largest of garden plants and becomes a tree so that the birds of the air come and perch in its branches. Let me ask you a question. How many of you have had either friends, workmates, family members who are not Christians, but when they've had dilemmas and problems or illness come to you? To me, you know what that is? They're coming they're the birds that want to come and they want to perch in your tree. They want to perch in your faith because they have confidence that in your faith something will take place in their life and it will make a difference. And you know what? Guess what? It happens. It takes place. God honors because it's their action of faith to believe that something will happen through us that it causes them to be touched and empowered by a living God. Jesus, seated at the right hand of the Father, says we're right there with Him. We died with Him. We rose with Him. We ascended with Him. We're seated right next to Him in heavenly places. He tells us He's interceding for us. Intercession means this, that He is praying for our success, and if you know anything about intercession, this, you don't stop praying till you see breakthrough. Man, what a comfort that is to us. Jesus is praying for our success. Just turn to your neighbor and tell him, you're going to succeed because Jesus is praying for you. Isn't that wonderful? You see, faith sees the invisible, believes the impossible and receives the incredible. Let me say that again. Faith believes the impossible, believes, believe, or faith sees the invisible, believes the impossible, and receives the incredible. That's what faith does. And you know what? God knows what we need before we ask. One of the first times when I was coming to Africa, uh, I had a church ask me to come up, share with them. Uh, I'm, I'm going to chase a rabbit for a minute, okay? I'm going to take my watch off, set it on the counter. I remember the story of the little boy said, what does it mean, Mommy, when he took his watch off and put it up there? And the, the mom said to the little boy, it means absolutely nothing. <laughs> but I'm going to put it up there. I'm not, you know, to me, this is hot. This is very warm weather. Uh, in Denver, 
My wife said it was minus 12 the other day with a foot of snow. The day before it was 28 Celsius. So it just, you get crazy weather that happens still all the time. But to me, I was enjoying Johannesburg because it was only 12 Celsius. I was enjoying Cape Town. And this 24, 25, up to 29, gee, I think I, I won't tell you how it made me feel, but it made me feel very warm. I was going to chase a rabbit, and I forgot which rabbit I was chasing. <laughs> Remind me of the rabbit. Come on. We came to Africa. That's it. Thank you. Thank you. Went to, traveled 24 hours by car, drove from Dallas, Texas, to um, Grand Rapids, Michigan. The, the pastor wanted me to share with the leadership, share with the church where we were going, what we were doing. I did. Stayed with one of the deacons. And at the conclusion, the pastor just shake, shook my hand and said, Thank you so much. We appreciate you coming. Bless you. We'll be praying for you. I got back to the deacon's house because I was gonna, getting ready to leave, pick up my stuff. And the deacon asked me, he goes, How much did the church give you? You know, we want to be behind what you're doing. And I said, Actually, he just, he just blessed me and let me know that they'll be praying for me. He was so embarrassed. He gave me $100 and said, Hey, this will pay for your gas at least to get home. So I get home. We go on to Africa. We get to Africa. Uh, we're in Kenya. My wife has to have an emergency surgery. The day I'm to get her out of the hospital, I have eight shillings, about a dollar and twelve cents in Kenya. And that day, I get a letter from that church, and they sent me enough money in that check to take care of all of our needs, pay for my wife's hospital and surgical needs that she had to have, and two and a half months keep and they said God spoke to us some six weeks ago to send this to you and it had taken three or four weeks so it was a ten week process but God spoke to them ten weeks in advance to send and it got there the very day and in the note they said when you were here we knew you had enough money to get to Africa we knew you had enough to take care of you for a while and God told us to send this now So I'm telling you, God knows our needs before we ask. He knows where we're at. He knows what we need. And He'll take care of us. So I want to tell you, God is for you. Jesus is praying for your success. There's a professor at uh, Bible Institute of Los Angeles, Biola University. Uh, His name's Craig Hazen. And he is the head of the philosophy department. Now, it's the philosophy of religion department that he heads up. And every university in America, Harvard, Princeton, Yale, all the Ivy League schools, all the universities have any philosophical questions about religion, they refer those questions to Biola University and to that department. And he was sitting in his study. And as he was sitting in his study, the Holy Spirit spoke to him and said, Do you believe my word? And he goes, Oh, Lord, you know I believe your word. He says, do you believe my word that says that if my words abide in you and you abide in me, that you can ask what you will and it will be done? He goes, Lord, you know I believe that. And the Lord speaks to him clearly and says, then ask of me. So he said he thought of some things and he asked the Lord. And you know what the Lord said to him? Is that all you're going to believe me for? You see, God wants to raise our expectation level to believe for more Because he wants to do more than we ask, think, or think. 
So you know what this professor said? He's not too old. He's in his early 40s. He said, Lord, I want to believe then that the Mormon church will recognize that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and they will come to a walk with Him in a Christian faith in my lifetime. Now that's pretty extreme. But he said, well, Lord, you told me I could ask. So I'm asking. You know what? Six months later, he gets a call from Brigham Young University and they say, we would like you to come up and meet with some of our theological professors. He went up, met with them. They began a relationship and friendship. And as they began to converse and talk, he met with them another couple times. About every three or four months, he would fly up and meet with them. Then they said, we'd like you to bring one of your apologists to come and speak to some of our elders. So he takes Ravi Zacharias along with him. They invite 7,000 of their elders from across America to come. The first five points that Ravi Zacharias addresses, he gets a standing ovation. And yet each point refuted the first five tenets of the Mormon faith. One of the cameramen said, hey, we flipped the switch. And he goes, what do you mean you flipped the switch? And he goes, no, no, you know, we flipped the switch. And he goes, no, I don't know. What does that mean, you flipped the switch? He said, it means we flipped the switch to the main apostle's apartment, and he had all the other apostles there and the prophets, and they watched everything that had transpired in this meeting. And they liked it. About a month later, Craig Hazen got a call, and they said, we would like you to come back Bring Ravi Zacharias again. We will then, put this time, put you at our convention center, which holds 25,000 people, and we will bring our leading elders from around the world to here. I want to tell you, we need to raise our expectation level with reference to what God desires to do. God wants to do exceeding abundantly above all we ask or think, according to the power that is within us. And it's going to take faith to release it, to believe that God honors His Word. That He loves His people and cares enough to do what He says He will do. Next thing I think God's going to do is, in an incredible way is He's going to impact Islam beyond anything we've ever imagined. You know what? Ishmael had the same father as Isaac. They were both at the same funeral. There were promises. There were blessings towards Ishmael. Mike Eltringham will tell you many times men have come to their church and he asked, how did you hear about it? And they heard it from a dream. God had appeared to them in a dream and give them the address and tell them when they meet and they'll find Messiah. Because what's incredible to me is the Islamic community and the Jewish community are both looking for a Messiah. And there's three things in the Jewish community and three things in the Islamic community. They're all looking for the exact same thing. It says when Messiah comes, He will raise the truly dead. And the truly dead are persons who have been dead for more than three days. Well, we know Jesus did that when He raised Lazarus. Also, they believe in dreams and visions. A friend of mine was in Nigeria, and he said the leading evangelist they have in Nigeria was an Islamic man. And when the Islamic men go into the temple, they go in and they do a, a washing and cleansing ritual. And in that cleansing ritual, they take the water and they say, Oh God, purify me, open my eyes that I might see you as you are, and 
Jesus appeared to this man in the water and said, I am the Messiah, I, Jesus. And this man was radically converted and saved. And he's a leading evangelist operating and working in Nigeria at this time. We need to raise our expectation level. Durban has the largest Islamic propagation center in the world. I want you to raise your expectation and believe that God will tear it down. That God will give you encounters. The third thing that will capture the Jewish community as well as the Islamic community is the miraculous signs and wonders. That will capture their attention. They can't refute it or deny it. Jeremiah 29, verse 13 14 says, If you seek for me and search for me with all your heart, I'll be found. You know what? These people are sincerely seeking. They're just sincerely seeking wrongly. We have to believe we will be catalysts that God will use to impact them and to sweep them into the kingdom of God. I believe we're on the verge of another great revival. One that the world has not seen. Far greater than anything ever before. Joel, it tells us that the Lord says He is going to pour His Spirit out on what? All flesh. All flesh includes all. Have you actually thought about that? All flesh? It includes everybody. excludes nobody. That's God's desire. He wants to pour His Spirit out on all flesh. And I believe the world is poised in the same way it was during the 60s when the Jesus movement started and the charismatic renewal started in America. It's poised in America again the exact same way. We have war demonstrators at this time. We have people speaking out against the government at this time never before. But they're looking for something to give their life for. And they're not going to give their life for a status quo church. But they're looking for a church that's vibrant and alive and a living Jesus is manifested in the meeting. People are healed. People are set free. People are released because of the goodness of God. I believe in that God is calling young people. And how many of you know young people have to have something that's worth dying for or they're not going to get involved? 80% of all people who come to Christ do so before they're 20 years of age. To me, it's incredible that we spend more than 90% of our budgets for those that are way beyond 20 years of age. Ooh, that's a quiet one, huh? (laughs) It's just reality. It's reality. I've got a friend, Scotty. He's not as tall as me. He's about this tall and about this wide. (laughs) And he was a youth pastor. He's now got a church in Tucson, Arizona. And, And... it's about four to 500 people, and predominantly a lot of them come out of uh, Arizona State University. So it's really a university church type church. But they're vibrant, they're alive. One of the guys comes to church, his hair is all waxed up, spikes all the way around, but on each spike he has a flag. So Scotty goes, what's with, this? What's with the flags, man? And he goes, oh, well, these flags represent every nation I feel the Spirit of God has spoken to me that He's going to send me to. And they're there when I look in the mirror to remind myself that I have a call on my life. And you know what? The churches in America rejected the young people during the Jesus movement. And there was a man by the name of Chuck Smith that said, hey, 
because the people said, we don't want all these dirty young people coming in barefooted. They're going to mess up the carpet. You know what he said? Take up the carpet. Get rid of it. We want the young people. We want the young people. Scotty was telling me of a young guy. The guy has hair to his waist. He said women would die for his hair. It was so beautiful. I don't know. I wouldn't. I don't know. My wife would never die for some guy's hair. I know that. But he goes, this young guy comes to him and he goes, hey, Scotty, I feel like God's spoken to me to go to Albuquerque, New Mexico. And he told me to go to this certain, certain corner. And he goes, do you think it's there? And Scotty had actually lived and worked in Albuquerque, New Mexico. And he goes, yeah, it's there. I know it's there. I used to live there. I know it's there. And he goes, that's great. What did God tell you to do? And he says, you know, it's incredible. He told me to go there and stand on my head. Scotty goes, he told you to go stand on your head. He just looked at him and shook his head. And so this young guy says to Scotty, do you think I should go? And Scotty said to him, he said, well, if God told you to go stand on your head, then God will tell you when to go stand on your head. So don't worry about it till he tells you. About four to five months later, this young guy goes to, comes up to Scotty and goes, Hey, Scotty, I went. And Scotty goes, You went where? He goes, No, I went to Albuquerque, remember? And then it slowly started coming back. And he goes, Well, what happened? He goes, Well, I got to that corner. I found out the one you told me about. And he goes, I got on, stood on my head, but I had to stand next to a light pole because he said, I'm not very coordinated. So I propped myself up there. But he said, after about a minute, the blood was rushing to my head. And I thought I was going to pass out. And I said, oh, Lord, can I get down now? And the Lord said, no. So I hung up there for another minute or so. And then he said, a car, I heard it come around the corner. I heard it screech its brakes. And a guy jumps out of the car and goes, no way. So he said, I figured that was my cue to get down. So he goes, I got down. And this guy comes running over to me. And he goes, you won't believe this. He goes, just this morning, I said, God, if you're really there, I want you to have someone stand on their head on a street corner. Now, what made this so significant was this gun guy took this guy with the long hair to the car and showed him. He said, I have a revolver right here. I was on my way out of town to commit suicide today. But you see, God knew, spoke five months in advance, prepared a young person that was willing to go and do a crazy thing, and God intervened in that young person's life. You see, God wants us to be crazy Christians, that we're willing to do whatever He tells us to do. I see some of you are responding. You have known some crazy people here. <laughs> of course, it wouldn't be you, but just the people around you. I believe in a generational call. I believe it will always in, impact and affect three generations. You had Abraham, you had Isaac, and you had Jacob. You see it historically. I believe in nepotism. You look at the Kennedys. They were all involved in par- politics generally. You see the Bush family. They're all involved in politics. Maybe you know some sportsmen that were Springboks here. Their children then grew up and became Springboks and sportsmen. You'll see it with prominent families. 
I want you to know in the family of God, we need to have an expectation that God desires to do more than what we expect. Don't build for right now. Don't build for five years. Build for three generations. Bill Johnson says his church vision and plan is for a hundred years. Because he expects he will live in another 20 years in ministry. Then he expects 40 years out of his sons and then 40 years out of his grandsons. And they build that way. They've bought almost 100 acres of land and they just keep expanding with what God is doing and keep buying more. What's so incredible is they have a two to three mile radius around there that is a cancer-free zone. Not one person in that area has cancer. You see, God wants you to be that lighthouse. He wants you to impact the people of Pinetown in a significant way. He wants people to know they can come and their needs will be met. And I believe they'll be met here. But one, because you have leaders that have a desire to see God at work. You have leaders that have a desire to see you empowered. You have leaders that want to release you into accomplishing the purpose and the will of God. And another friend take a group of high school kids to Chile. The last night they were there, he said he looked over, they were praying for a guy in the front row, and one of the young kids, about 16 years old, was unwrapping this guy's thigh, and he had a bandage around his thigh. And he goes up and says, hey, what are you guys doing? And he said, we feel like God said, if we actually touch his wound, that Jesus will heal it. And he said that when they unwrapped the wound, he had to cover his mouth because the guy had gangrene in his wound. And the stench was so bad. And he said it was so ugly and grotesque. But he said this young 16-year-old boy reached over and touched it and said, Jesus, you said you would heal it. And he said, just like that, it began to swirl the skin. The, The gangrene instantly began to disappear. And in a period of five minutes, the guy's hip and thigh was like a child's thigh completely well with pink and new skin. These kids, he said, were so charged and so excited and enthusiastic. They were going to get on the bus. They saw a blind man being led across the street by an old lady about a block away. They ran down there. And the guy who was leading the youth to Chile came up later and he saw them all on their knees crying and he felt like, oh Lord, don't let their faith be dashed. Isn't that how we sometimes think? He said, don't let their faith be dashed. He goes up to the leader of those young people, and the young guy goes, you know, we got down here, God said, just slap him across the eyes. <laughs> and he goes, you know what? I slapped him across the eyes, and look, scales fell off his eyes. And he goes, well, why is everybody crying? And he goes, they're crying because that's his mother, and he's been blind for 40 years, and he's never seen his mother. And they're weeping because they see that God has restored this man's sight. And he sees his mother now. I want to tell you, God wants to use you. God wants to empower you. It's not just your leaders, it's you. Because you are going to be catalysts to release the kingdom of God. With that nepotism, it doesn't only impact politics. It releases wealth. It releases leadership. Position is passed from generation to generation with regards to what God is on about and God is doing. I have a friend who has a ministry in in, uh, Thailand. He rescues sexually exploited children. I'm on his board. And every year, 300,000 children are sold into the sex trade in Thailand. He goes to this village. He feels God speaks to him to go to a place called Udintani. Udintani is right up on the Cambodian border. During the Vietnamese War, it had the largest military base in all Thailand right there. 
They had more than 50 to 100,000 troops there at all times. He goes to a little village where God speaks to him to go, and they buy land to build the good life home. They buy it, and he sends his first newsletter out, and he gets an old, tarnished, yellow clipping back from his mom. And in the clipping, 65 years before, his great-uncle and great-aunt were martyred in that exact village where God spoke to him to go to set up the good life home. I want to tell you, God is a God that looks after generation after generation. And incredible things have transpired there as a direct result. And I want to tell you, have faith. Look at your lineage. Look at your heritage. Look at what God has promised family members down the road past. And you know what? Sometimes the enemy will do everything in his power to prevent and thwart God's purpose from being realized and come to pass. And know that it's the enemy that wants to break the line, the lineage, and stop what God's desire is to take place. It's time to take back families. It's time to take back history. It's time to take back wealth. It's time to take back things that the enemy has desired to rob. Not necessarily you, but from other family members that impact you. Amen? Interesting thing, whether you like Joel Osteen or not, for me, Joel Osteen was a young guy that brought a lot of hope to me in a time of distress in my life. But when he took over the pastorate of his father's church, it was only about 6,000 people. But you know what? His father had been preparing in advance, and they had over 60 million U.S. dollars in the bank waiting for what God was going to do. His father's philosophy is give when you have plenty, don't give when you don't have any. Let me say that again. Give when you have plenty. Don't just give and ask for giving when you don't have any. I can see you're wondering what's going on. In other words, when things are flush and there's plenty of resources, that's the time to, to continue to ask for people to give even more. Only two men in Scripture. See, there's four things involved in prophecy. You got revelation, interpretation, application, and timing. Most people get a lot of them wrong because they get the part of the revelation and we need to understand we know in part and we see in part. But what we have to understand is that the interpretation can be just two words and the purest definition of prophecy is this, repeating only what the Holy Spirit says to you or only what the Holy Spirit shows you. Don't embellish it. Don't try to put your own thought process on it or whatever. Just tell what the Holy Spirit is saying. And in doing that, there were two men in Scripture, Daniel and Joseph, that they got it all. They got the revelation. They got the interpretation. They got the application that they were to apply and the timing. That's why God wants you, His people, that we need our leaders. We need to be able to trust our leaders. That if God gives a word, that if you don't understand it, we bring it to the leaders. Let them pray over it with you. If they don't understand it, they get other people involved to pray to get an answer as well. Why? Because God wants our timing to be accurate. I was with a man recently, 
And he said God spoke to him several years ago to start putting away when they were in the flush times. And he goes, you know what? They've not had any of the, the down times now because they had all the abundance that they were just able to draw from. God's looking to give us wisdom and insight so that we're not victims of, 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 uh, re, of reduced release of economics. Amen or oh me. Let's move on with what God is saying. You see, God has a family destiny for you and for every generation it's going to get greater. Why is it going to get greater? Isaiah 9, 7 says, For it says, The increase of His government there is no end. Which means that the amount of anointing you have today, the amount of understanding you have today of His kingdom, it's the least it's ever going to be because it's ever increasing. So tomorrow it's going to be more. So we need to have an expectation for our children. It's going to just get more and more and more. You know what? I started with my children at four years of age beginning to groom them in the prophetic. To me, the prophetic is simple. It's easy. Not just because it's a calling, just because we have complicated it. To me, I go in a meeting. You know what I do? Simply this. I just say, Lord, your word says that if I submit myself to you, I can resist the enemy and he has to flee. So, Lord, you are my king. So I expect you to speak to me this evening. I expect that you want me to understand what you want to do. And I resist the enemy and command him that he doesn't come anywhere and try to interject any thoughts towards me. You see, most of the time when we're ministering in the gifts of the Spirit, let me ask you the question. You don't have to respond to it. Do you ever ask, Lord, is this you or is this me? Did I know this? Is this pre-knowledge? Or did somebody say something about this to me? Has that ever happened to any of you? Huh. You know what the Lord said to me? Because I said, Lord, I want to be more accurate. Have you ever prayed that, Lord, I want to be more accurate? I'd like to give addresses and people's names and streets and all that stuff. You ever want to do that? I think it'd be fun. I think it'd be fun. So the Lord said to me, if you want to be more accurate, you have to be more bold. That was not what I wanted to hear. It wasn't what I wanted to hear. And what the Lord went on to say is this. You have to believe that if you're ministering, the thoughts that come to your mind, the pictures that come to your mind, the impressions that come to your mind, it's me that's speaking, and boldly you speak them out, and you watch what I do. I was in a church just recently, called the pastor up and said, The Lord's telling me to tell you there's a man in your church that's going to build you a four-bedroom house, three bathrooms. You will have an office and a study. He got real upset with me. He goes, nobody, nobody knows. I go, what do you mean nobody knows? He goes, there's a man that's already come to me. He's already got plans passed, and nobody in the church knows. I said, well, there's three things that God is doing here. One, he's wanting the man to know that what he aspired to do was right. Two, he's wanting you to know that it was God that spoke to the man. And three, he's wanting the congregation to know that you didn't manipulate the situation and it was God that caused this man to want to do this. Then he goes, oh, you know, sometimes we just have to use some common sense. (laughs) But I was with a group of elders 
we were ministering to them. One of the ladies started walking back to her seat, and I felt the Holy Spirit say, ask her, do you love children? And she said, she goes, yes, but she, and she burst into tears. She'd had six miscarriages and had never been able to carry a child more than six weeks. And the Lord says, tell her, this time next year she'll have a child. Well, you can, that's one of those, you're either right or you're wrong. There's no in-betweens. So I said that to her. You know what? I saw her pastor, uh, the visionary elder, four months later. She go, he goes, hey, I just wanted to tell you so-and-so's pregnant. Saw him another three months later. He goes, just want to tell you, she got up before the church and told of the prophecy, and she's six months pregnant now. I saw him in October, and he goes, I just want to tell you, she had a wonderful, beautiful, healthy little baby boy. You see, God wants to utilize us and He wants to take us and transcend the barriers that we have placed upon ourselves of restriction. You see, the enemy, the devil, has no power unless we agree with him. He has no power unless we agree with him. So when he comes and he climbs and says, boy, you missed that. And I want to tell you, a lot of times prophetic words are not missed. I was telling Steve today that God gave me some words that only 38 years later now, they were given to me in 1972, are they beginning to take place. You older people who are here, who have maybe retired or are thinking of retirement, I want to tell you, I was so encouraged. I'm 59. And I thought, well, I'm just going to invest in my kids, pour my attention into them, and help them get to the next level in God. And I came across a series by a pastor, George Stormont, which was the last seven years of Smith Wigglesworth's life. He either traveled with him or this man, Smith Wigglesworth, lived with him. And you know what I discovered? Smith Wigglesworth was 55 when he first went into ministry, and he ministered 37 years and shook the world. God wants to shake the cobwebs of our thinking so that we actually realize we're not, we've just begun. We want to have that Caleb spirit rise upon us. That our latter years are going to be better than our former years. I feel like everything I've gone through has just been preparation for what God's got now. I was telling Steve, never in my history of 28 years walking with guys with New Covenant Ministries have I seen the openness to what God is desiring to do with the Spirit like I am now. Such a time as this. And I want to tell you, that God wants to use you for such a time as this to make an impact. And I would expect that God, the impression I have is that within a short space of time, you're going to see your congregation more than double. So the word I would have to you as leaders is this, mend your nets so that none of the fish will fall through. (laughs) Mend the nets. Secondly, I believe you will have some men coming to you wanting to... Come and become a part of what God is doing with you. And I feel like the Lord says, don't push them away. And I feel like the Lord's saying, don't, and not, don't, not just push them away, but don't exclude them and don't think they're going to be an entity on their own. But I believe God's saying He's going to bring people and they will become a part of the whole and they will just be a part of what you're doing. God has ways and means that go beyond what we believe and understand. He's going to speed up the process. 
So the anointing, the power, the magnitude of the revelation of his kingdom in your life today is the least it will be because his kingdom is ever increasing. Wonderful. I think wealth is going to be released. Deuteronomy 8.18 says it's God that gives us the ability to get wealth. I believe as we grow older, we get smarter in how to utilize wealth and get it. You know what I've discovered? We will never, ever be able to stand before God and say, God, all the vision you put in my heart, all the things you spoke to me that you want to do, you know, you just didn't give me enough resources to accomplish it. I want to tell you that will not fly with God. God is not going to put something in your heart that he doesn't provide for enough to cause it to happen. In fact, he just exhorts us, think bigger, dream greater thoughts. I have a friend in Australia, and one of the things I would encourage you is get a notepad, put it by the side of your bed with a pen. Why? Because, you know why? Your spirit never sleeps. So when you go to bed, you go to sleep, your body sleeps, but your spirit isn't asleep. My wife and I, when we pray together at night, we say, Lord, speak to our spirits. Give us revelation. Give us understanding. Let us understand what you're wanting to do. And this young, this guy, his name's Bob Moore. You can check him out. He's in Coastlands in Australia. Had an air conditioning business, just a straight air conditioning business. Made a good living. Had about two, did about $200,000 worth of business a year. So it wasn't a big business. But he had a dream. You know, the, in the Bible, more than 220 times God speaks to his people through dreams. Even with the very life of Christ, he spoke a number of times to Jesus' parents and told them to move and do things through a dream. So have an expectation. Have the pad there so you can write things down. So he has this dream of how to alter air conditioning to work better in trains, buses, and tram cars. And he thought, when he woke up, he told his wife and said, that was interesting. You know, I've never thought about this. Well, the South Australian government buys trams, trains, and bus cars from Germany. Well, the German summers are not as hot as the Adelaide summers. It might get 32, 33, or 34 in Germany, but in Adelaide it gets up to 42, 44. 45 gets very hot, and they couldn't cool them down. So the government put out a tender to alter the trains, tram cars, and buses. So this guy asked the Lord, Lord, how much am I to tender for this? He tenders. A multinational company tenders the exact same amount. So the South Australian government says, we will give each of you one vehicle to alter. And after you alter it, whichever vehicle, the air conditioning unit works the best, we're going to give the tender to them. The multinational company, they let them go first because they thought it was a shoe-in. They flipped the switch. They had nothing but problems. He does his car. They flip the switch. It purrs like a kitten. It chills it down. They had to turn the air down. It got so cool. They give the whole contract to him. Overnight, his company moved from a $200,000 company to a $7 million corporation company. Every other state in Australia now have approached him with regards to him maintaining their products, their cars, and, tra- and changing their th- air conditioning units over. They now pay him what they call a prime vendor cash allowance every single month to make sure his company will take care of the government things. 
Last time I saw him, he, I said, you need to bob it. Is God giving you an exit strategy? And he goes, God's given me an exit strategy. He's told me how much the company is going to come and offer me. And he's told me who the company is. And he's told me they will also pay me a residual the rest of my life. And I'll be able to release millions into the kingdom of God. Because that's his heart's desire. So I want to tell you, God wants to release wealth. I want to tell you, you who are businessmen, God wants to give creative ideas to you. You who are inventors, don't think that all the inventions have been created. God's got more. There's more to do. One simple invention can release millions into the kingdom of God. Wealth. Like we've never seen before. I'm not, not going to pause on this one very long. I believe God marks property. What I mean by that, I believe God earmarks property, and at times He will not let anybody else buy it because He's earmarked it for His work. I want you to open your eyes. God's got more property for you guys. It might not be right here, but it might. He's got more. Not that you'll get rid of this, but he's got more. He's got more. Got a big God with a big vision. I've only got a couple more and then I'm going to stop. Is that okay? I believe we're going to see an unprecedented move of the Holy Spirit like we've never seen before. The charismatic renewal in, which hit this country in the, the 70s and went through part of the 80s will be nothing in comparison to what God desires to do now. I declared this three years ago because three, in 1967 is when the charismatic renewal really started and the Jesus movement started in America. And it went in America to probably about 75, 76, somewhere around there. And here in this country, it prolonged and went into the early 80s. And I'm telling you, there's a window over the next 10 years that you're going to see more, and you need to prepare yourself for it, more evangelical people coming into an understanding of the Holy Spirit, but yet a holy dissatisfaction with the status quo of where they're at. And they need people and churches that will lead them into all truth. I was in Washington, D.C. I just spoke this. I just declared it. Frontline of the, the Washington Post had an article by the Archbishop of the Catholic Church of the Diocese of Washington, D.C. He said in the last six months they'd had an influx of 50,000 new Catholic converts to Catholicism. And the paper interviews him and says, well, what do you attribute this to? He attributed it to small groups. He attributed it to them allowing the gifts of the Holy Spirit to be manifested. And he attributed it to the Holy Spirit working in people's lives. In the, whole, in the small groups. I want to tell you, there are hungry people. Wherever I go, there's a hunger. There's a hunger. In the evangelical community, even today, there's a hunger. People are flooding into churches that preach a gospel message that have just a little bit of life in their worship because they're so hungry for more. And I want to tell you, there are people in this area, in this city, in this nation that are hungry for more and they're dissatisfied with the status quo. They want the freedom of God, they want the release of God, and they want more of God. And you know what? You have it. You have it. Freely you have received, freely give. And have an expectation. They're going to come. They're going to come. You're going to be amazed with it. But with God's Spirit coming and empowering us and touching us, He's going to stretch our grid. Our grid, 
of what we understand is going to be expanded. If I were to draw a little circle on that um, screen, and we said the whole screen is in essence God, and that little circle is our grid of understanding, I want you to understand most Christians today are controlling the whole screen by their little grid. And I want to tell you, God's going to expand your grid by the power of His Spirit. He's going to do things that go beyond what you comprehend and see and understand. I meet with six prophetic guys, and these guys have stretched me. They stretched me. I've, with them, being with them, and seeing things take place with them, I've had to rearrange my grid of thinking. And I'm telling you this because God is going to force your grid to be expanded as well. Hebrews 1.14. I'm going to read it to you. Well, let me, yeah. Let me read to you first Hebrews 13.2. Do not forget to entertain strangers, for by so, doing, by so doing some people have entertained angels without knowing it. How many of you got a grid for angels? Generally we don't. Let's be honest. Let me tell you one funny story, can I? Not about an angel, though. This will help you because if you tell me, oh, yeah, my grid's embraced and it's big, uh, you know, sometimes I think you're a liar. <laughs> Don Basham was one of the guys working with Charles Simpson, and he, ministered, he was a Disciples of Christ man. He shared on deliverance and ministering and casting out demons and things. And in this meeting, he was very quiet and uh, in a... Not in a flamboyant way at all. He just said, Lord, I take authority now over principalities and powers and evil spirits, and I can command them to come out of people and be real, people to be released now in the name of Jesus. And shrieks started going here and there, and people falling off their seat and frothing at the mouth and all sorts of going. So he just told the elders and the deacons, all right, you guys just get in there and set these people free. So one of the deacons goes up to one of these guys and goes, okay, spirit, name yourself. So this spirit spoke to the the deacon and said, I'm a lying spirit. And the deacon speaks back to the spirit and says, You lying spirit, are you telling me the truth? (laughs) I've never forgotten that story. To me, it's a wonderful story. (laughs) But God's wanting to expand our grid. Isn't it incredible that when Jesus was baptized says the heavens opened and the Holy Spirit came down and He left full of the Spirit. He was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. He was tempted by the enemy. And then it says, and ministering spirits came and ministered to Him. Angelic beings came and ministered to Him. And He came back in the fullness of the Spirit. And then from that point on, ministered under the anointing of the Holy Spirit. Isn't that incredible? So now you can flip to Hebrews 1.14. I'm, I'm just about done. Really, I am. I know you just, you're, you're beginning to think it's one of those lying spirits here too. <laughs> but it says in Hebrews 1.14, Are not all angels ministering spirits to, to serve those who will inherit salvation? They're ministering spirits. 
If Jesus needed ministering spirits when He was in the Garden of Gethsemane, it says angels came and ministered to Him as well. If Jesus, our model, needed ministering by angelic beings, then it certainly angelic beings should be within our grid as well. And in Hebrews, the first chapter, the seventh verse, it says, In speaking of the angels, he says, He makes his angels winds, his servants flames of fire. Isn't it incredible that on the day of Pentecost, what came into the room? Wind and fire. True? Let's flip over to Psalm 104. I'm actually going somewhere and I'm going to land this just in a second. I'm not Rob. I don't have four endings. <laughs> See, you know what I'm talking about. Psalm 104, verse halfway down in verse 3 and 4, it says, He makes the clouds His chariots and rides on the wings of the wind. He makes winds His messengers, flames of fire His servants. Now, in Hebrews, we just read that those specific things were referring to angels. Correct? Then turn back to Psalm 103, verse 20 and 21. It says, Praise the Lord, you His angels, you mighty ones who do His bidding, who obey His word. Praise the Lord, all His heavenly hosts, you His servants who do His will. I want you to know, God has angelic beings, and when we worship the same thing that transpires where Jesus is now seated at the right hand of the throne. When you read into Revelations, you see the things that transpire. You see the glory of God. You see the angels worshiping Jesus. And many are just, it says, myreds and myreds, which means thousands and thousands and thousands, tens of thousands times tens of thousands are just saying, holy, holy, holy is our God. They worship Him. You see, when we exalt Him, when we lift Him up, when we worship Him in the same way, we have to have an expectation that angelic beings are going to come in the same way and be with us and minister. And I have an expectation that ministering spirits are going to be ministering here. Now, I've never seen an angel. Now, I was telling you, I was with these prophetic guys. They stretched me. So, in some areas, when you don't know anything, you just shut up and listen. Because they were talking about white light angels and blue light angels and I didn't have any reference point for it. They told me the white light angels often deal with purity and holiness but the blue light angels deal with revelatory things. Well, right after they had told me this, I just stored it in my mind because I didn't want to tell anybody about that because I'd never seen that or heard of that. How many of you people have said things to you and you have to come to realize that just because it doesn't fit in the framework of your thinking doesn't mean it's not true. See, that's why I'm wanting you to see that if we drew a little circle up there and that's your grid of understanding, God's much bigger. Much bigger. So here, I'm in this leadership meeting with Ken Grenfell. His church, 100 of his leaders are there. We're meeting. The kids are outside playing. It's late afternoon on a Saturday afternoon. And the kids, about halfway through the meeting, come busting through three different doors and go, where are they? Where are they? And the parents go, where are what? They go, no, where are the angels? They go, what do you mean angels? They said, no, we saw three blue lights. And they were just hovering, and they had wings that were flapping, and then they just came jettisoned straight into the meeting. So we believe they were angels. Where are they? Well, I still never saw those things. 
I thought, how is it that kids see him and we don't see him? But you know what? Because I had a reference point from those other guys speaking to me, I could say, all right, I do believe that perhaps they have seen angels. So what I'm saying to you as I'm saying it, not because we're looking for angels, but we're looking for the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And when we exalt Him and lift Him up, we have to have an expectation that things that take place around Him and around His throne will manifest in our very midst. You see, most people come to a meeting thinking and believing they are the temple of the Holy Spirit, and you are. But when we corporately come together, we come as living, lively stones, everyone laying down, Jesus being the chief cornerstone. We exalt Him and lift Him up. And just like the temple of old, when it was dedicated, it says, the glory of God came and He filled the temple to where the priest could not stand to minister. I was telling Steve about a book, and I would recommend it to you if you could get a hold of it. Uh, you can get it on Amazon.com. It's called They Told Their Story. And these are people in their 70s and their 80s, and this was only published around 2006. But their stories were taken about 1974, 1975 to 1980, somewhere in there. But these were children who were a part of the Azusa Street Revival. And they just told what transpired and took place when they were kids and what they saw with their own eyes. They talk about playing hide-and-go-seek in the glory of the Lord. And the cloud of the Lord was so thick in their meeting, they could hide from their friends. That's what happened when Solomon dedicated the temple. It says the glory of the God was so strong that the priest couldn't stand the minister. They talk about how God would use the children and children worshiping God with their eyes closed, people all over the floor, and the children never stepped on a person being led by the presence of God. And they would go and see people healed and touched and re- released. Flames of fire coming out of the building. Another great book to read is called Like a Mighty Wind by Meltari speaks of the Indonesian revival in East Timor. And again, it was through children. To me, it's intriguing. Bill Johnson's church, every six weeks, they have the children come in and minister to the adults. And Benny Johnson was saying that she got the most prolific prophecy in her life from a six-year-old. She'd been praying for years, almost 15 years, she said she'd been praying for three specific things. And that this six-year-old said to her, Auntie Benny... I believe God's given me a word for you. And this six-year-old child tells Benny the exact three things that she had been praying for for 15 years. And she says, the Lord's told me He's going to do them. And this little six-year-old went on their way. And she was left, she said, just a blubbering idiot. Because she said she she knew that it was God and nobody knew but her husband. Don't. Not think that God wants to use the children in what He is doing with you. told you, I began ministering and teaching my children from age four. They're not too young then. I believe you're already experiencing a grace explosion. The gifts of the Spirit are given but through the grace. They're grace gifts. That's what they're called. God wants to release His people. He wants you to understand your sons and daughters of the Most High God. He wants you to understand your inheritance. He wants you to understand the power that He has for you. And it's all released through His grace. People will serve God out of love, not out of duty. And I believe, lastly, there will be a prophetic culture that comes forth from the church. That even children will have prophetic words for people. 
They'll have dreams and visions. I wonder if why as it is so many children have imaginary friends. I wonder if they aren't actually angelic encounters. Scripture says we must become as little children. It doesn't say our little children need to grow up and become mature and then God will do something with them. He wants us to look at them and how innocent and trusting and how they believe God and that God begins to work and do things through them. you believe that? Hope you're encouraged by these things. I'd like, I'd like the elders and their wives to come and just stand out front here. And I'm going to come down front if that's okay. One thing, if you're going to minister, though, I encourage you, get some mints or sweeties or something. You don't want to minister to people and realize that they have fallen and it wasn't under the power of God. The last thing I want to say to you before I minister some to them is this. God wants you to to be able to feel what He wants to do, and sometimes you will feel it in your body. These are oversimplistic almost. I feel more things often in my body than I see things. Second is that you read it. Sometimes a word will come before you, almost like a teleprompter. Sometimes God speaks to me about people. Thirdly, see it. And what I mean by see it is maybe a picture appears to you. Fourth, sometimes thoughts. Think it. Thoughts come into your mind. I want to tell you, dare to believe God that He's speaking to you. And fifth, dream it. Dream it. Have an expectation that God's going to speak to you in a dream. How many of you are thirsty? You're thirsty? How many of you are thirsty? Good. The Bible says that uh, to empathize with me, so I'm going to drink this on your behalf. Wasn't that good? <laughs> no, I'm sorry. I'm being, I'm being naughty there. <laughs> I'm being naughty there. Just come closer together, guys. It's okay. I, and I'll tell you why I do this. I like to minister to the leaders first because generally out of that, then I minister to the, often to people. And I don't know how long this is going to go. We'll see. We'll be here tomorrow night, I think, with the youth or something like that or whatever, whatever's happening, wherever it's at. I don't know. Here with the youth and the young adults. Okay. And I'm being told anybody could show up. Young in spirit. As long as you don't mind your mind being stretched. All right. (laughs) Wouldn't that be a young person telling us that? I'll just put this down there. I'm going to come down here. Is that okay? If you're wondering why I'm limping a bit, when, the day I moved to Denver, it was minus 12 degrees, and for three hours we were offloading furniture out of the moving truck into a storage facility, and I was going to get the last piece of furniture, and I slipped on the ice, and I fell and broke my hip. So I was in the hospital for three weeks in rehab, and then I just was incapacitated at someone's home for about eight weeks with my leg in traction up. And um, not really in traction, but it was 
lifted up all the time so it would heal. They didn't have to do surgery. They didn't have to put pins in it. It's much, much better. I was in Cape Town, and a number of young uh, girls that were physiotherapists wanted to come help me out, and I want to tell you my hip is fine. I don't need any help from anybody. I'll get help next week when I go home. My wife, if there's any massaging it needs, it, she'll take care of it. Just for you to feel better. I'm not feel rejected. I'm not rejecting anybody. Thank you, Jesus, for healing my hip. Hallelujah. Lord, we bless you. We bless you, Lord. Just have a picture of you as a, a, of a, an eldership, and you're all under an umbrella. And it's a big umbrella. And I feel like the Lord, I see others coming to come under the umbrella. I feel like the Lord says that as you are open, be open, because God is going to bring some people that are people that you wouldn't expect to get under the umbrella with you. And some of those people are actually going to try you and try your patience. But some of them are coming from different backgrounds and different streams, but God clearly is bringing them to make them become a part of you. And as I see that picture, I see that some are going to tuck under your arms and almost like you're going to put your arms around them and help them through and help them along to become. And I just sense the Lord saying that you're going to see more and more of that. And as a result, like Pied Pipers, people are going to be coming with them and more are going to come with them. And it's going to be a surprising thing because you're going to see people coming to you that you don't expect from other streams and other groups and other denominations. They're going to hear God is in this place. And they're going to know that God is doing something. And it's going to be, an, it's, you've got an exciting time before you. But this is a big umbrella. So it's not an umbrella just for you to relax, take it easy, and think that you're at the beach and it's just going to keep you from the sun. But it's an umbrella that is going to be an umbrella of protection for those leaders as they come in. You're going to protect them. And as a result of protecting them, you're going to protect their, lead, their people that come with them. Hallelujah, Lord. We bless you, Lord. We bless you, Lord. And Steve, I see you traveling more. I'm sure that just makes Janet's heart leap within. <laughs> and I see you traveling more because I believe the Lord says that like a spear or a pointed arrow, God is going to open up uh, regions and territories to you. And in the favor you have found in some places that you have gone already, the Lord says that's just scratching the surface with regards to what God is going to do. See, the Lord's saying that there will be groups of leaders, as many as 5,000, that will call you to come in and you'll share with them. And you'll just see, I see chains falling off of them, shackles falling off those people. And the Lord says, as you do not build them to yourself, but you build them to me, you will be amazed at what transpires. And like almost a, a catapult, you will be shot from place to place as God opens up new territory to you. I just sense the Lord saying that he's going to bring strategic men to you and that as these men come, don't think just because you're tired, it's not him. But the Lord says that even as you go, that he will give you the strength and he will give you the tenacity to go forth and that you will have longer times of refreshing in his presence. 
Lord says that you will prepare in advance and you will not prepare when you go, but you will just enter into his presence and you will see greater things than you've ever imagined before take place. I see that as you speak out to the people, I see people healed and set free and people standing up and being released and people being delivered and people just as the word goes forth. And as Jesus spoke the word, the Lord says, though, don't only just speak the word, but it's healing is like a, tri- a river with many tributaries. And the Lord says he will speak to you and say, this is what I want you to do. This is how I want you to do this. This is how I want you to do that. And it's not going to be all neat and tidy and uniform. And as you do that, you're going to see even more incredible things that you, you uh, have ever imagined. In fact, I feel like the Lord say you've cried out to him because you want to see actual limbs on people's body restored. Have you ever asked him for that? It's out there. But I feel like the Lord says, you've asked and you're going to be amazed because you're going to see it in your lifetime. You're going to see limbs begin to grow back on people that have been, have been gone. The Lord saying that it's not just for him because the, all of you ha, will pick up and you all will begin to see and all of you will begin to do more because God is at work and God is doing things. And he's brought you together so that you can actually help and hold up the arms so that you can accomplish and win the war. And the Lord says that He isn't doing that or just for Steve. And He's also doing things for you with regards to that, Janet. That, that the Lord, Steve's going to come to you and He's going to say, this, is, this and this and this is what I sense the Lord saying. And you're going to show Him. And it's almost, I see, a, I don't know if you're cheeky or not, because I've not seen any of your cheekiness. <laughs> Are you cheeky? <laughs> but I see you bringing out like... <laughs> you lying spirit, are you telling me the truth? <laughs> no. But I see you actually writing down what God speaks to you. You don't share it with Steve. Steve comes and shares with you. And almost in that cheeky manner, you say, well, the Lord already told me that. And he told me that. And it's going to be a few weeks and a month or so in advance. And it's going to encourage you, one, that what he is doing is what God is saying. And it's going to encourage you to be able to embrace it because you know God is in it. Because sometimes we as leaders do things and our spouses are unsure. They go along with us just because we're leaders. But in this, I sense the Lord saying that you will understand the why. And then it will be easier. It will be easier because you know that God is in it. And it's going to make all the difference. It's going to make all the difference. So you ladies, I'd like you to step forward and hold hands together, okay? Because I sense there's going to be just a release of his anointing upon you in a greater measure. Some of you, your hands, he's anointing your hands to heal the sick. You're going to be surprised that you're going to be out in public places. You are going to be in a public restaurant at a time, and you're going to overhear somebody talk about sickness, and you're going to say, you know, I serve a wonderful God, and I believe he wants to heal you. And you're going to lay hands on the person, they're going to be healed right there. And they're going to, their mind is going to be, they, they do not have a reference point for it. So, Lord, we thank you. And it's not just her. There's several of you. Several of you, the Holy Spirit's already upon you and already touching you and ministering to you. The Lord wants to expand the parameters of your expectation. This ministry is not just your husband. His anointing is upon you. He's got things for you to do. 
And Lord, we just say, such as we have, we give in the name of Jesus. We release your anointing on all of these elders' wives now in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. I just sense there's, there's someone that's actually struggling the left side of their neck. Is there anybody here that's struggling the left side of their neck? Where their neck at times just gets like it's stiff? You get like a stiff left neck. Anybody here? You. All right, why don't you pray for your husband? <laughs> Everything you've wanted to say, just... <laughs> Lord, you've shown this because you want to heal, so Lord, we release your healing into his neck now in the name of Jesus. We thank you for it. We thank you for it. We command all pressure... We command those muscles to relax in the name of Jesus. And Lord, that you will use our sister now as a conduit to release your healing anointing in the name of Jesus. And that from this time forward, he will not struggle with his neck in the name of Jesus. We thank you, Father. We thank you, Father. We bless you, Lord. We thank you. You're going to see, there's going to be times you're going to see oil and residue of oil beginning to appear in your hands. That you're going to see that and you're going to know. And the Lord is going to speak to you and show you who to pray for. So often we want to pray for everybody. Jesus must have passed the man at the pool of Bethesda more than a hundred times. And then Peter and John pass and God says, okay, now's the time. And the Lord says that he will show you the appropriate time and you will know. Your hands will burn and you will see traces of oil and you will know that God is wanting to do something. So, Lord, we just release your anointing in a greater measure, in a greater way, beyond expectation. We release it now. We release your anointing now, Father. Stretch the grids. Stretch the grids, Father. Lord, we break off mindsets and restrictions and impressions of what elders' wives are to be, and we release them to be what you've called them to be. What you've called them to be, Father. Let your freedom go. Lord, I just feel there's just a pressure around some minds. Lord, we release them in this place right now. We release it. The impression of the enemy that is said that you're restricted. You can't do this or that. We break that from off them now in the name of Jesus. And we release them into your plan and your purpose. We release them, Lord. We thank you. Lord, we thank you for our brother's preaching gift. And Lord, that not only is it going to be a preaching gift that's going to be amplified, I don't want you to pray now, I just want you to receive. Not only will it be amplified, but there's going to be such a release of this spirit when you speak that you're going to see people, you're going to point at them, and before you get it out of their, your mouth, people are going to fall under the power of the Holy Spirit. And God is going to do it. For the Lord says He's raised you up for such a time as this. This time is your time. This time is your time. And the Lord says, tuck under the wings of your leaders, your brothers. And as you tuck under, you will see the residue of the anointing that is upon them become a residue of anointing upon you. And the Lord says, even as you're anointed, 
you will see a greater release and a greater release of the, the anointing come forth through you. That the things that you think that as you speak them, you will see them come to pass. And like Samuel, the Lord says, the words that you declare will not fall to the ground. And the Lord says that as you give yourself to His Word, that the Lord says He will reveal Himself more and more and more to you in the same way He revealed Himself and He appeared and showed Himself to Samuel at Shiloh, but He revealed Himself to Samuel out of His Word. We release Your anointing, Father, upon them for great and mighty exploits, Father, in the name of Jesus. Lord, the yoke that has been upon them, we transfer it from being a heavy yoke. You said your yoke is easy, your burdens light. So, Lord, let the weight of your yoke be easy in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name, Father, we bless them. We bless them, Lord. We bless them. Go ahead, you guys can quit holding hands. That's hot in here, isn't it? Go ahead, you come up here with your wife. This is your wife, right? Good. Hallelujah, Lord. We bless you. We thank you for this couple, Father. We thank you for this couple. I just see the Lord putting even a heavier weight upon you. That's just not what you want to hear. (laughs) But I just sense the Lord putting a heavier weight upon you. And the Lord says it will not be what you cannot bear. He will give you the grace to accept it. He will give you the grace to move forward with it. The Lord says He will give you insight and understanding how to draw from Him that His strength fills your strength. We release your anointing within Him. Greater measure, greater dimension, greater way. And Father, the weight that has already been upon Him, that He has felt unbearable, we command it to be broken off of Him now. In the name of Jesus. There, go. Go in the name of Jesus. We release it in the name of the Lord. We release it in the name of the Lord. And to sense the Lord saying that you've been concerned for your husband, and the Lord says, fret not thyself. Fret not thyself. And that His grace will be sufficient for you in this situation as you observe as well. Because you're going to wonder, how in the world is this all going to be accomplished? And the Lord says it will be accomplished because when it's under His grace, it will become easy. And I just sense the Lord's, the word shortcuts keeps coming to me. That He's going to give you shortcuts to accomplish things that will amaze you. So things that took maybe six or seven hours, he's going to give you shortcuts to expedite the process. That it takes much less time. And I just sense the Lord saying to you, your family will not suffer. You will, they will not suffer in this time. So Lord, I pray your blessing upon them in Jesus' name. Release your grace upon them in Jesus' name. Accomplish your purpose in Jesus' name. And to see you laying over your bed and almost crying out to God, saying, God, I want more. I want to be used more in tangible ways. I want to see more things take place. And I want to see more people healed and all these different things. And the Lord says, I've heard the cry of your heart. I've heard the cry of your heart. We thank you, Lord Jesus. We pronounce blessing. Come on up here. 
<laughs> hey, I'm going to sit down. Is that okay for a minute? Yeah, it's yeah, you can sit down. You can sit down for a minute. You can sit down. I understand fully. Hallelujah, Lord. We bless you. We bless you, Lord. We magnify you, Father. We thank you for your goodness, Lord. I just almost sense the Lord saying, you're a smart cookie. Does that bear witness to you? You better watch what you say because if you say no. Now, the definition of true humility is this, not seeing yourself greater than or less than what God has made you. Often, most Christians, we always see ourselves less than what we are. But I just sense the Spirit of God saying that you are a man of the Word and you love the Word. And the Lord says, not only are you going to be a man of the Word, but you're going to see a greater release of the things of the Spirit than more than you've ever seen in the past. More than you've ever seen in the past. You're going to, I see you speaking the Word. I see you doing different things. And as you speak the Word and do different things, I just see the Word taking effect and bringing release. And it almost catapulting people forward. And just almost like an explosion, like you're igniting a fuse within people. And so, Lord, we thank you that you have a plan and you have a purpose and you will accomplish your way at your time and you will do what you want to do. And, Lord, that uh, you will... I just keep getting the words grounding. The sense the Lord saying that he's, you're going to be utilized as well to help bring grounding in all the people that come your way. And I just almost see you like... The perfect host, people coming in and you showing them around and showing them all the things that's going on and what God's doing. And the Lord says that his grace is going to be upon you in such a way that you're almost going to be like a magnet drawing people in. A magnet. So Lord, we thank you. And Lord, we thank you for this lovely wife of his father, that your grace is upon her. I just sense the Lord wants his revelatory gifts to begin operating even in a greater measure within you. The Lord, I just sense him saying that he's going to be gentle. He's going to impose anything, but you're going to start dreaming dreams. And at first you're going to say, what was that about? And then I sense the Holy Spirit saying, as you dream the dreams, he's going to drop words into your heart that explain what was taking place. And the Lord says, you will see people's faces. You will understand their circumstances and situations. And as the two of you sit across from them, you will actually speak their mind. And they'll say, who told you? Who revealed this to you? So, Lord, we thank you for this couple. And we thank you for what you're going to do that's beyond maybe what we've imagined in the past. In Jesus' name, we bless them in the name of the Lord. In Jesus' name. How you guys doing? Good. You Okay. Good. Just feel like, you know, the word debonair comes to me about you. Is that bear witness? Now you're not a pizza, don't worry about it. Pasta. You're not even a pasta. Yeah, you are a pasta. <laughs> but I just felt like the Lord saying, you know, you're like a dignified man. And I just sense the Lord saying that you're going to be amazed at the men 
God brings across your path. He's going to bring influential people across your path. And you're going to wonder, why is it they like me? And the Lord says, because it's in his plan, it's in his purpose. And the Lord says that opportunities and business people are going to come and they're, they're going to, you're going to have connections and the connections are, you're going to be almost like a conductor and a facilitator putting people and pointing people to different people. And you're going to be part of the catalyst of the release of resources and greater resources in this place. I don't know if you have anything to do with money here or anything like that now. Or, okay, that's fine. It doesn't necessarily have to do with money as much as it is the people that God brings and connects you with. And so, Lord, we thank you for this couple. We thank you that you have a plan for them and that she is not going to be excluded from this plan. Not at all, Father. So, Lord, we release your anointing upon them. I see you waking up in the morning and you speaking to your husband and saying, I feel like we ought to go see so-and-so. And you're going to go see that person. And they're going to say, how did you know I was having a problem? How did I know? And the, you're going to be able to tell them because God loves them so much. He put them on your heart. And, Lord, so we just bless them and we release them into just a pastoral loving row, a way, Father, that will release your anointing in a manner that goes beyond anything we've imagined. Father, we thank you for them and that you're going to bring people, significant people, across their paths. In Jesus' name, we bless them. We bless them. And Lord, we thank you for this couple. We thank you how you're going to use her in healing. We thank you that he's not at the end of the road but, Lord, you're going to restore within him like a Caleb spirit, Father. A trailblazing Caleb spirit. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. <laughs> it's kind of funny to describe this to you. But I saw you in tights. <laughs> no. And I saw, and I, and I just saw like an S across your chest with a K. <laughs> and I sense the Lord saying, "Do not underestimate the power of God that is within you. Do not underestimate the things." your God wants to do with you. Do not devalue what God has deposited within you. And I just sense the Lord saying that he wants to restore. In Psalm 103, it talks about restoring our youth. Father, restore youth into this man of God now in the name of Jesus. Health, wholeness, life, vitality, strength, Father. Lord, that he'll be like a young Caleb. In his latter years, will, he will have more enthusiasm, excitement, and impetus and power than he's had even in years gone by. And that others will say, man, slow down, I can hardly keep up with you. And Father, I thank you that even with the duties he has like Caleb, he will say, Lord, I have a big capacity I want more. I want more. 
And so, Father, I pray that you will release more to him in the name of Jesus. You will release more to him in the name of Jesus. We release it, and that out of his belly will flow rivers of living water, life-giving water, in Jesus' name. And Lord, that they will function and flow together in great power in these latter years than ever before, in Jesus' name. Let your anointing and let your blessing be upon them in the name of Jesus. We bless them, Lord, in Jesus' name. Lord, we thank you for this wonderful couple, Lord. You desire to use them, Lord. We thank you. How's your neck anyway? Better. Great. See, one of the things we need to understand is that when God starts doing something, if it's not complete, we give him thanks for what he has done, but we contend for the rest. We continue to contend for more. So don't just stop if things don't happen all like you think the first time. Just pray again. Jesus prayed three times for a man. It's okay. But just do what God wants you to do. So Lord, we thank you for this couple. We ask your blessing upon them. We release your anointing upon them, Father. Key individuals are going to come in contact with you, Father. We thank you that that's going to be released. Key individuals, significant people, Father, are going to come. Sportsmen are going to hook up with him, Father. And we're going to see it happen, Lord. And we release your anointing upon them, Father, that they are going to be almost like a Pied Piper with the people that come and get involved as a direct result of what you're doing in and through them, Father. That even as friends ask them, what's different about you now? They'll be able just to explain Just it's the goodness of God and how much God loves people. Mm. And that God is doing things because he loves the people so much. And I I just see such a manifestation and demonstration of his love that it goes beyond anything they have imagined. So we release your anointing, Father. We release your anointing, your power, Lord, to transcend anything of whatever they've entered into in the past. You have more. We release it, Lord, for such as I have, I give in the name of Jesus. And I sense the Lord saying that there's going to be specific people that he's going to show you and you're going to dream about and you're going to wonder how in the world am I going to get in touch with that person or this or that. And the Lord says he's going to cause divine appointments for you to run right across the path of people. And the Lord says you will pray for people and he will give you names to pray for people and then they will come in your way. And know that when they come in your way, he has made it for such a time as this. So, Lord, we release that anointing upon them to accomplish your purpose. We release that anointing upon them that's going to release healing, going to release your love, and going to release and demonstrate your goodness, Father, for you are a good God. And we bless them tonight in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. We bless them in Jesus' name. We thank you, Lord Jesus. We thank you, Lord Jesus. I realize it's a work night, and I realize we could just probably go on and on and on and on. So I'm going to stop. (laughs) Give it back to Steve. But if you have an expectation, if you put your expectation to God, He will make it clear, and we'll see what God does tomorrow night. That's okay. Tomorrow night won't be a time of teaching as much as it will be just a time of practice and demonstrating. Young people like to practice. 
Young people want to demonstrate. So if you want to demonstrate, you want to understand how to practice the gifts, you want to understand how to move in the word of knowledge, then if it's okay, they can come to that. All right. Excellent. Bless you. Mark, sir, thanks so much. That was outstanding. Yeah, let's just thank God.